lovers. This is Patina. This is Bree. You're listening to Stranger Danger, a true crime podcast. Welcome back. Happy Halloween. Oh, yeah. yeah. Happy Halloween. You said your case was Halloween E. Mm-hmm. It happens on Halloween and it is very Halloween E. Okay. <laughs> Give me the E. Yes. <laughs> Um, before I get into this case, I am going to preface with a trigger warning that this case does involve um, death of children mm. and um, unborn babies. Okay. So if either of those subjects are sensitive to you and you would rather... There are small parts of the story, but I just feel I need to do my due diligence giving a trigger yeah, warning very about that sensitive things yeah yeah so this case is dubbed the halloween horror and it is about a lady doreen ray hitchens okay later known as doreen ray herbert 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 I keep wanting to call her Eckbert for some reason, and I don't know where that's coming from in my mind. Maybe I know an Eckbert in my life. But, um, yeah, Doreen Herbert. Herbert, yeah. So, a little background on Doreen. Um, She was born November 29th, 1952 in Santa Clara, California. She grew up in a very loving, tight-knit family. I know she at least had a sister. I think she had one other brother. I don't know where she fell in the birthing order of her and her siblings <laughs> but um this woman just sounds like she was just such a delight um her late husband just had this really sweet quote about her he said oh she was an angel when she smiled and laughed you could not you couldn't help not loving her. Uh-huh. She was always giving. And I think we all know somebody we like all know that a Doreen like in that. your life. And if I'm that person for you, that's totally fine. Oh, I think you are. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah, I was fishing. Um, <laughs> <laughs> thanks for going along Fish with on. it. Yeah, boost my ego. Um, but yeah, she just, uh, had a really generous spirit. She like volunteered at school. She was just a very, very giving woman. And that kind of led her eventually to pursue a career in medicine. And she later became a physical therapist. Oh, cool job. So she kind of took that route. Um, I love me a physical therapist. They've done wonders for me in my life. Mm -hmm. So hats off to this woman for doing that job. So... Soon into her physical therapy career at the clinic that she was at, she meets a man by the name of William Michael Dennis. Or, sorry. Yeah, William Michael Dennis. He went just by Mike. Okay. So we'll call him Mike for the remainder of this case. Um, Just to give you a little bit of an idea of Mike, he grew up um, with childhood hearing loss, which caused him to wear a hearing aid. Okay. And back in the 80s, you know, hearing aids aren't like they are now. Everything right. is much smaller now than it was back in the 80s. And so, you know, you can imagine just this really big earpiece yeah. with the long wire and the battery pack. And I think this kind of led to, you know, obviously maybe some self-esteem mm-hmm. stuff growing up, having to wear something like that. He wasn't very social. You know, his 
his co-workers said that he, you know, really made little conversation. One source even describes him as kind of being a little depressed, maybe coming from just like social awkwardness or just how he kind of had to grow up with some of those circumstances, you know, didn't really have a lot of girlfriends, but when he met Doreen, she was the one. Yeah. He instantly fell for her. Um, they met through friends. He worked next door at a factory. So they kind of met in close proximity like that, but then also met through friends. And their courtship was very short. They married only about seven to eight months after they started Damn. dating. So they like really, really hit the ground running. That's really fast. Really fast. I mean, I've seen faster, but that's fast. Yeah, I mean, yeah. yeah. To get married after? Mm-hmm. That's crazy. Yeah, really, really short. And soon after they were married, in April of 1976, they had their son, Paul Dennis. And Mike just, like, really super embraced the role of, like, being a father. He was described as, you know, being a doting dad. Hmm. He could not have possibly loved his son more. But with being young and having a kid can oftentimes put strain on relationships. And we kind of see that happen in their marriage. You know, although it's a very exciting time, the stress of new parenthood really, really put a big strain on their marriage. And the two did end up divorcing only about a year later in 1977. So they were in the relationship quickly and out of the relationship quickly. And Doreen did end up taking primary custody of Paul. Mike did get to visit him, but he didn't have any custody of Paul, which I couldn't really find any explanation Hmm. for. Like, he could come over and visit with him, but there wasn't like a, oh, you go to your dad's on the weekend sort of thing. At least that's what I could gather from the information. Maybe they just didn't go through the courts to have something Maybe put in paper or something, yeah. Because there wasn't really anything at this time to say, like, oh, Mike was an unfit dad or Paul would have been unsafe in his care or anything like that. So I don't know why he didn't have some form of custody from what I could find. But nonetheless, Mike really cherished his time with Paul, but he was definitely bitter about the divorce and how all of that kind of played out sure um which you know i could understand with somebody that maybe didn't have a whole lot of relationships leading up and then you find the one you know and and it doesn't work out and i think that's really hard for somebody to accept if you haven't gone through breakups right because you don't have that like, I could have done this, or I should have done that, or I did this last time, and then it didn't work. Like, you don't right. have anything to reference. Or having the savvy yeah. to problem solve, you mm-hmm. know, through certain things. Obviously, parenthood is is a level on its own. But, um, but if you don't have that foundation of knowing that person, then oof, exactly can be hard. I'm yeah. saying it is hard, but I'm sure it can be hard. Right. A whole nother... 100%. You're throwing this new element into the relationship. <clears throat> Yeah, totally. Especially, I mean, in my personal opinion, I don't feel like seven to eight months is enough time to like really, really get to know a person. I mean, Tyson and I got married on our seven year anniversary. Yeah. Yeah. 
engaged after six. Not that that needs to be the path for everybody, but we had a long time to get yeah. to know each other and yeah. figure our own shit out before we tied the knot. But anyways, they divorced in 1977, and Doreen bounced back pretty quickly from that divorce. She found herself in a situation where she was driving, she got a flat tire, she was on the side of the road, and a man by the name of Charles Herbert, who was a local carpet star, a carpet store owner, oh. a carpet store. Like, what's a carpet store? Oh. <laughs> he does these mean carpet stars. <laughs> well, and then my mind went like really Porn triple X. Yeah. <laughs> And I was like, okay, based off of our earlier conversation today when I got into your house, I was thinking, that's kind of the 70s, you know? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Full shag, man. Oh, my God. Full shag. No, he was a local carpet store owner. Gotcha. But he pulled over to help Doreen out with her flat tire, and they ended up exchanging numbers, and the rest is kind of history. The rest is this case, I'm sure. The rest is this case. It is. And they married about a year later. So again, a really, really fast courtship into a marriage. And so they got married in 1978. And in 1979, they had their daughter, Deanna. Okay. So it got... She knows what she wants, kind of. Exactly. I mean... And Charles really had a great relationship with Paul, too, even though he wasn't his biological son. Like, he really embraced Paul from the get-go. And then, you know, you get to bring a daughter into the mix, and that's so fun. Yeah. You know. It's like the whole family. You got one of each. Mm Mm-hmm. So, if you're listening to the story so far and you want to skip a little bit ahead, this is going to be my first trigger warning. So... Unfortunately, tragedy did fall upon the family in February of 1980. Um, Paul was only about four years old, and what they believe to have happened is that a dog, or the family dog, had dug a hole underneath the fence that surrounded their family pool. Oh. And Paul unintentionally unsupervised crawled through this hole in the fence and he fell in the family pool. Um, Deanna was home at the time, but when she found Paul, it was kind of too little too late. He was obviously immediately rushed to the hospital. He was put on life support for a week, but he died three days after they took him off life support and, you know, the respirators and everything. That's so hard. So devastating. I mean... Yeah. Yeah. I. Bulls are I, so I could tricky have words, too. But no, yeah, they are. I mean, and it not so much here in Oregon, but in Arizona, it's something that's very prevalent because, you know, 50% of households can have pools or at least the apartments have pools or, or et cetera. And it's just, and it's very sad how often that can happen. Just a small amount of time. You leave the sliding glass door open. Something. Or a kid's or, just being curious and yeah. goes up a ladder or, you know, slips through the bars or in this case, freaking goes under the fence. Oh, that's so hard. Just a real quick 
story that this makes me think of anytime I think of a kid drowning. I remember I was, I don't remember how old I was. I was definitely younger, like maybe 12 or something like that. And I was on vacation with my family in Bend and I went to the bathroom in the restaurant. We were out at the pool that day. I went to the bathroom and when I was walking back, I just happened to look down in the hot tub and there was like a three-year-old girl underneath the water like I will never forget the look on her face and she's trying to get to the surface and I like jump in and I pull her out and I just will never forget this it's like a core memory for the rest of my life and I pulled her out she's like coughing and everything and you know I'm like where's your mom or whatever and she like points and I like walk her over there and I'm like you know like hey I just grabbed your daughter she was drowning in the hot tub and the mom's reaction was just so like oh thanks (gasps) no it was so (laughs) cold just so cold like she wasn't alarmed about it at all or anything like that and I'm like uh, Fatina I will never forget the look on this girl's face as she's looking up underneath water and I'm just like Oh my god, that was your mom's reaction. It was oh my so god. it was so bizarre. And I like kept my eyes on that little girl like the rest of the time yeah. we were at the pool that day because I was just like That is weird. First of all, why isn't the mom yelling and screaming where the hell is my kid or like calling out the kid's name looking for her kid? Exactly. So many questions. Why don't you have floaties on your child right. if they're just running? Uh, I don't know. Oh my god, so but many a questions. Hot tub but too? a hot tub. Yeah. So, any, yeah, anytime I think about situations like this, it just instantly makes me I didn't know that story. story. That is a crazy fucking story, It was wild. Yeah. And I think, like I said, I think I was only like 12 years old and I will never forget that. It was. Of course not. It was crazy. Damn. Um, but yeah, you know, unfortunately, Paul did succumb, you know, to the drowning. And this is where we really start to see Mike in a emotional decline. Her ex-husband. Paul's dad. Okay. Um, Over the next two years, his life and mental state really, really deteriorated. Blamed Doreen a lot for the accident. He was extremely inconsolable about the tragedy. I mean, totally understandable. Um, but he did end up filing a wrongful death lawsuit against Doreen and Charles. Oh, shit. Yeah, I mean, you can do that. You can yeah. do that. Um, the case went to trial in 1982, but the jury did not find the Herberts guilty of any neglect. Um, I couldn't write, really find a whole lot of details about that, but it created enough animosity between Mike mm-hmm. and their family that they just completely cut off all communication yeah. with Mike. I mean, Paul wasn't around, so they really didn't have right. any reason to continue yep. <laughs> any sort of relationship yep. with him. Um, but he took it really, really hard. So like I said, over the next two years, you know, his life and his mental state really, really deteriorated. He had lost his position at work He ended up taking a salary reduction to be able to keep some form of a job. Mm. 
at the factory. I'm assuming maybe it was something like his position was cut. And it's yeah. like, well, you're not qualified to move up, but... Here's something. You can do this. Yeah. And still, you know, obviously very, very bitter about the divorce and Paul's death and all of that. That's and just a lot of big life things happening in a very short amount of time. You get divorced. Yeah. Your four-year-old son drowns. You're watching your ex-wife move on and yeah. start a new family. And... You get demoted. You get demoted. Yeah. You're kind of on your own again, back yeah. in this like isolated environment that you were once in before you right. met her. Doesn't have much of a community, it sounds no. like. Yeah. So that's hard. Definitely definitely hard times. And I think throughout all this he really he started to kind of feel like Doreen had intentionally Oh no killed Paul. Oh, because damn. of this new chapter of her life that was no. beginning. And so his psychological state sure. was starting to deteriorate and just make these dots connect that really weren't yeah. connecting, yeah. you know. So the family does, you know, they need to move on with their life. And when I say the family, I'm talking about Doreen and Charles. The Herberts. Yeah. The Herberts. Okay. Um, in 1984, so just two years after Paul's death, um, Doreen got pregnant again and found out that she was pregnant with a son. Okay. So probably a very bittersweet moment yeah. for her having lost a son, now finding out that she's pregnant with a son. She was going to be due with uh, the new baby boy in early November and I just thought this was pretty cute and worth mentioning. Doreen was a very small woman. She was only like five feet tall. Oh, that's, that's tiny. That's tiny. Yeah. Yeah. And her sister kind of joked that she was as far out as she was high <laughs> when she was pregnant. So, you know, I'm sure we've... a great visual. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the baby doesn't really get that much no. smaller, depend nope. no matter how tall you are. So, you know, I can just imagine this and I thought that was just a, such a cute funny sisterly comment to make about her but five yep. feet's tiny I mean I'm only five three I'm not that much taller than that but five feet is little um so yeah they've got all this exciting stuff going on on in their life they're expecting a new baby and we get to Halloween night October 31st of 1984 so at this point, you know, the baby's due in early November, and Doreen's now eight months pregnant. Oh, wow. She's, she's well She's about long. ready to pop. Yeah. Yeah, she's waiting for her water to break any second. And, you know, on Halloween, she takes now four-year-old Deanna, their daughter, trick-or-treating. They come home around 8.30, and while they were out trick-or-treating, Charles was at home passing out candy, you know, yeah. doing that whole thing. And after they get home, Charles decides that he's going to go make a quick store run. He's going to go get more candy. I'm assuming probably for them to eat because mm -hmm. they kind of, you know, 830 trick-or-treating is kind of winding down. Yep. So he's going to run to the store to get some more candy, um, something to drink. And then he was going to just stop by a friend's house really quick on his way back home. So around 9 p.m., there was a knock on the door and... We'll get more into later about what four-year-old Deanna recalls from this night. Oh, shit. Okay. Um, but Deanna recalls the knock 
not being normal. It wasn't just like a nice trick-or-treat knock. It was like far more aggressive. Um, But Doreen, you know, grabs what candy is left in their bowl, assuming that it's trick-or-treaters. And when Doreen goes and opens the door, she was met by a man wearing a wolf mask holding an 18-inch machete. Oh, shit. And... I mean, this is straight, this case makes me just feel like it was inspiration. It's, it, it is a horror movie. It is a yeah. Halloween horror slasher, Michael Myers, Yeah. Friday the 13th Ugh. horror movie. And so Doreen inevitably is attacked by this man with this huge machete. Right at the door? Right at the door. Mother. In the entryway. Ugh. It's on. Damn. So, again, Charles had only left the house, you know, between, like, right around 8.30, 8.40. They got home at 8.30. He went and mm-hmm. left for the store. This knock happens around 9 p.m. And then around 9.30, so we could say 45 minutes at the most later, sure. Charles returns home and enters. Son the door was bitch. unlocked. And he's met with the worst possible scene you could imagine coming home to. He finds Doreen in the entryway lying in a pool of blood and she's, she's mutilated. They say that she was struck 25 times in the head on the head, on the head slashed all over her abdomen. And even the lower part of her left arm had been completely severed. Damn. And chopped off and was laying, you know, not oh. too far from her body. Um, real quick, I'll give you a moment if you want to fast forward a little bit through this next trigger warning. Um, one source says that the unborn baby was removed <gasps> and laying in the living room. No. So... For you what reason? can only imagine what that... I mean, it's not something that you want to imagine. Oh, I would break. I... I... I yeah. No, I, I would have a psychotic break. No, yeah, it was... It, there was so much blood that Charles has, had slipped and fallen in it. Like, oh, shit. It, the, one of the detectives that shows up to the scene says that she was, like, surrounded by, like, an inch deep yeah. pool of, of blood. blood. I mean, my God, not only does, would your body expel X amount of blood when you've been mutilated like that, but also when you're someone that's pregnant, yeah. the amount of extra blood that you have in your, yeah. your body. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine. Um, and Charles, and, and even, it sounds gory and like macabre to say this, but fluids too. Exactly. From her state. I mean, holy shit. The the baby was no longer part of yeah. the body, you know. Um, Charles, this is miraculous to me. Charles recalls that, Charles recalls, that's a tongue twister, <laughs> um, that Doreen was actually still breathing at oh, this point. Damn. But like very, like grasping for yes um 
he immediately calls 911 and tells and tells the dispatcher that he's trying to put his wife back together. Oh, son of a bitch. So when the first responders arrive, Charles is covered in blood and his and he's hysterical. You know, he's just like, help my wife, help my wife. They tended to Doreen and she did still have a pulse as they took her to the hospital. My goodness. Unbelievably. I mean, it happened in such a short amount of time. Yeah. Really. But one would imagine that that amount of blood loss and mutilation that. So the doorbell rang at nine mm-hmm. and Charles got back by nine twenty. Nine thirty. Nine thirty. So 30 minutes mm-hmm. at the most. Mm-hmm. And this nine o'clock time frame is the really only account that they have is, sure. is Deanna. Oh. The four-year-old. Yeah. Um, but, you know, Charles is, Charles is like, I left at this time and I came back at this time, you know, sort of thing. But nonetheless, happened super, super quickly. Um, so the first responders arrive, you know, they're the first on the scene and then detectives soon follow them. The scene is described as being horrific and eerie. Like I said, just like straight out of a horror movie. And San Jose Police Department Detective Burt Caro says that when he when you walked in the door, the house was dark. You could see that the hallway was red there. You know, there was blood everywhere. And sitting in the hallway was like a kitchen bar stool uh-huh. with a lit jack-o'-lantern on it. Oh, creepy. So let that picture just paint itself in your mind of how fucking creepy that would look on Halloween to enter a house and not only just that scene but then there's this eerie like lit jack-o'-lantern on a stool in this dark house. I'm sure for a second at least my mind would be like is this real life? Seriously. You know what I mean? Yeah. And there are pictures online if you go and look up this case they have they have a picture of um, how the jack-o'-lantern looked when they wow. entered. You don't see Doreen's body, but they're like crime sure. scene photos. She, I mean, she was taken away. She the was hospital. taken away. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, as most cases happen, when you have a husband involved in the murder of a wife, yeah. the husband gets taken in immediately for questioning. I was, I was questioning. Did he quote, go to the store? Right. But okay. Yeah. Right. So, so they, they take Charles away. Um, there, so, you know, Deanna's in the house at this time, and there are a couple different accounts on how Deanna was discovered. One source that I found said that Charles found her after he got home and found, um, you know, his wife, and then he found Deanna, but then another source says that when the police were searching the house after they took Charles, they found her hiding behind the living room couch. Oh, Which okay. is where she claims to have gone and hid while all of this happened. Damn. Um, so through the investigation, the first thing that they find is the wolf mask. Oh, it's there? It's there. It's immediately to the right when they walk in and there's this wolf mask. It's this like... 
big like caricature wolf mask and you know it's got like the big exaggerated teeth and the bulging eyes and the tongue sticking out kind of makes me think of you know like the cartoon wolf Mm -hmm. that you know howls at the pretty ladies and the big (laughs) yeah the hearts you know pumping out of his eyes so it it was a, a caricature wolf mask that looked like that obviously there's blood everywhere walls ceiling living room etc and they, you know, discovered throughout all that they had a pretty good idea of the murder weapon because of the blood splatter. Sure. And the blood splatter going up on the ceiling and there actually being tick marks in the ceiling from... The draw. From the draw. Yeah. And so they knew that this was a very, very large mm-hmm. knife. They never theorized from what I could find of an axe and maybe that was just based oh. on the slit size of her injuries too of her injuries yeah. and what they f- saw in the ceiling so they knew that they were looking at the murder weapon being murder weapon being a large knife um there was also a blood trail that led out of the house and went all the way up the street like the hell? quite a way up the street and then it just stopped so, of course, they're like, okay, whoever this murderer was, they got in a car, car. and they drove away. You know, yeah. the trail just ends. And, you know, there's, you know, you go into some crime scenes like this, and usually the most gruesome ones, you can start to run a theory of this had to have been something personal. Oh, yeah. You know, break It's not because she ran out of candy. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> Give me my freaking Kit Kat. <laughs> I need my Halloween pumpkin Reese's peanut butter cup. Yeah, no, this definitely was yeah. not over some candy. <laughs> Calm down. <laughs> so, you know, they they had a pretty strong feeling that they were on to this being something That personal. knew her. Yeah. Yeah, they knew her. So, at the time in the 80s, you know... DNA stuff was not developed the way that it is now. So they took some blood samples from the crime scene, knowing they were going to have Deanna's blood sample, obviously, but also hoping that they retrieve some blood that they can use to identify somebody. So I think comparing, like, strands of hair and then Mm. blood type were, like, really the only two forms of DNA testing that, that they time. could really use at that yeah. time. Um, so, you know, while they're investigating everything, Charles is taken down to the station and he was being questioned and other officers were also talking to neighbors. Um, Charles obviously denied having anything to do with it, yeah. you know, gave them his story and they're like, okay, well, can you think of anyone that would want to hurt Doreen? And he's like, I can't think of anybody, you know, this is this is my wife. This is who she is. This is the type of person that she is. We have a great family, you know. Um, Mike didn't come to his mind or of anything. Of course not. Like yeah. that. And sadly, Charles, while he was being questioned, he found out that Doreen had passed away at the hospital oh, while he was no. being held. So... Other officers are also questioning neighbors, and one witness 
saw someone in a wolf mask around uh, 6.37 p.m. that night. Oh. And not... I mean, they're onto this, obviously, because of the wolf mask. But, you know, the guy was like, I didn't really think too much of it. You know, it's Halloween. People are out in masks. Yeah. But the thing that stood out to this neighbor was that this person didn't seem to be partaking in the Halloween festivities. They weren't with any Mm. kids that were trick-or-treating. They, I don't know, didn't have that or like that energy about them that they were out having Halloween fun. He didn't have a sack of candy. He didn't have a sack of candy. (laughs) Um, But then what stood out the most also is that he saw this person stand across the street from the Herbert's home and just stare at it. Ew, dude, that is so horror movie. Like Michael Myers just standing there staring in in the mask weird and because she wasn't home she wasn't home she was out trick-or-treating at that time yeah and only the husband i don't know i don't know what time they went trick-or-treating but if he was there around i mean i don't know hour and a half probably isn't that long to be out trick-or-treating um but yeah so this person in a wolf mask was just standing there staring at, at the house And so they get this account from one of the neighbors and then they go and talk to the people that live directly next door to Doreen and Charles and they reveal the history of Doreen and Mike's relationship Mm. and then their fallout. So, sorry, I said Mike kind of a little bit early and gave a little bit of a spoiler (laughs) alert, but I think if you guys know true crime enough, you probably (laughs) caught on that, you know... Mike comes back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Not Michael Myers. Freaking Mike. Mike. Mike Dennis. So a few hours after the initial 911 call, um, officers with finding out all of this information about Mike, they get his address and they go to oh. his house. He lived only two miles Ooh. away from the Herberts. So very, That's very super close. Short. Very close, especially for, I'm pretty sure at this time they're living in San Jose because that officer was part of that police department. Right. And so, not a small no city. It could have, yeah. Like, that's a very short distance. Two miles for is, a big is city. close. Yeah. Um, so, they get Mike's address, they go to his house, and when they arrive, uh, Detective Caro is quoted, I remember there's a truck in the driveway and I just, with a flashlight, I look in and we see blood on the steering wheel and on the key and on the gear shift knob. Damn, there's not even hiding it. Nothing. And also, like, I was like, question mark about the key? Like, like where the key goes? Or did dude, like, actually leave the key still in the truck and he was in such a hurry to, like... Book it in his house. So they approach the house. They knock on the door and there's no answer. So they're like, okay, well, you know, we're going to go around the premises and see if we can notice if anybody's home. They hear water running and lights are on in the house. And immediately they're like, oh, hell no. Someone's trying to wash away evidence. Oh, yeah. Because they can... (laughs) They can hear the water running. So they forgot the car, though. <laughs> yeah, you didn't hose down your truck, dude. Yeah. Still evidence in there. Yep. 
So they, you know, go to the front door again and they knock and Mike answers in a robe with his hands in his pockets and the police, you know, tell him why they're there. Hey, we're here in response to the murder of your ex-wife, Doreen, da 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 And his response is just totally, like, not normal. You know, no, like, gasp, like, you know. <laughs> like, oh gasp. my god. <laughs> you know, no, like, no shock value. No, oh my gosh, what are you talking about? I can't believe that happened. He's just very, like... Oh, you know, and he just invites them in to talk. You know, is he how how dumb is he? I mean, how dumb are so many people that so we cover? Like honestly, and Come you know, on, you wanna... I'm sure the officers are like, "Do you have a couple minutes to talk and answer some questions?" Sure, because you know? at this point, I mean. He probably doesn't think that they went and flashed the light into his car and saw what mess he left there. Right. Okay. I mean. So he's thinking, oh, they just caught me with my robe on. Yeah. <laughs> Let them in. Exactly. <laughs> See if I have any leftover candy for them. Oh, you're <laughs> dressed like officers tonight. Come on in, kids. <laughs> what? <laughs> Realistic badge. Wow, that that's, like that's a that. really good looking gun you got there. Did you get that party city? Is like that real? What? Can I hold it? <laughs> yeah, he's just so like very like nonchalant about the whole thing and you know has no issues with them coming in to ask them questions. And when they arrive, they already have in hand like a consent to search. Oh damn, they're fast. And I think that they just kind of wanted to have all their bases covered. And yeah, I kind of thought so too. I'm like, this is, this is only a few hours after the initial 911 call. And so they were like on this. And so they asked Mike like, Hey, do you mind signing this consent to search? We Mm -hmm. just kind of want to take a look around. And he's like, yeah, absolutely. I have nothing to hide. No, he did not. So this whole time he's, there with his hands in his robe, right? And oh. so when he goes to sign this, he can't sign it with his right hand because he's got a bunch of bandage wrapped all over it. <laughs> and the officers are like, oh, how'd you get that coat on your hand? Weird. Gnarly. <laughs> and his story is that he was just playing with a knife. He was... <laughs> twirling a knife in the air and when the knife came down instead of grabbing the handle he grabbed the blade of the knife and oh cut himself God. and that's the story and he's uh sticking with it for for uh, that moment you know, i was just doing that game with the <laughs> knives the knife game you knife twirl right yes. it's, it's a fad right now i mean i don't know if you've heard about it but I'm working up to get it on fire, but we're getting there. <laughs> Baby steps. Gosh. Baby steps. So he has to sign the, you know, consent to search with his with his left hand. They get it signed, you know, everything that they need, and they go and they start to search his home. And when they go upstairs in his room, they find bloody clothes. They find, like, spots of blood on the kitchen floor. They find more blood on the front lawn. And... 
probably from him running into yeah. the house mm-hmm. with the blood on him. And then in the bathroom, you know, they find more bloody gauze from him bandaging up yeah. his, his hand. hand. And Detective Kara's like, you know, I just see all this gauze, all this blood, <laughs> and I'm just like, you're under arrest for murder. <laughs> Like, I don't know how that's so great. The cops like, you know what? I I feel pretty good about this. I have a hunch (laughs) that you may be the suspect that we're looking for. See, I mean, I can see how he he, you have to be really sure. Right. Yeah. Because you don't want to not arrest the right person. But to with all that there, how could you not? You have to. What a moron. <laughs> Sorry, and, it's and not no, funny. And, and it's it's not, but you're you're right. I mean Like he had to just been completely out of his mind to f- feel like none of this was gonna be discovered. Yeah. And allow them to search. Without a fear right. in the world. And, you know, I think we see situations like this play out so often where, you know, the person who's guilty of doing the crime is like, well, the more innocent I act, yeah. the more innocent they're yeah. going to think I am. And so I do understand that train of thought, but my dude, if we- shit everywhere. <laughs> It's everywhere. And no one believes that you were twirling your knife. (laughs) It didn't happen. My 18-inch machete. Yeah, my 18-inch machete. So they arrest Mike, and Charles later that evening is released. You know, he's he's been checked off of their... God, he wasn't uh, able to be there with his wife. No. Ugh. Or his stepdaughter. Yeah. Yeah. During all of that, so... Wait, no, that was his daughter. Oh, yeah, his daughter. I'm yeah. sorry. Yes, his okay. daughter. Yes. Um, and so they take Mike in for questioning, and of course, initially, he just denies everything. Um, continuing with his stroke of genius and being believable to make himself <laughs> appear innocent, um, his alibi is that he had been home since 4 p.m., he had dinner with his mom, and he handed out candy until about 8.30. At his house. At his house. Okay. So, that still doesn't clear you <laughs> of the time frame of when we know that the murder happened after 8.30, before 9.30, and you don't have a story that puts you not there. I don't think I've ever heard that. I'm going to give you an alibi up until the time in question. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, he lives only two miles away. And so they're like, that's plenty of time for you to have been done passing out candy at 830 and gone and slaughtered your ex-wife. So they held Mike while they did a second search of the home. And so on this second search, you know, obviously a lot more thorough, they ended up finding a receipt from a hardware store and a label for an 18 inch machete. Oh, damn. 
And I believe that was like in a box somewhere in his room. I could be wrong on that, but they, they had this receipt for a machete and then they go and search the garage and in the garage, they find two handmade coffins. What? One big enough for Charles and one big enough for Doreen. Oh. They find body bags, weights, and a map of the San Francisco Bay. Oh, damn. Yeah, the San Francisco Bay. Unfortunately, with all of that evidence, which at this point is kind of weird, but still circumstantial, they didn't really have anything hard to hold him. And in California at the time, if you weren't going to... Be you charged. know, be charged, you had to re- release someone after 48 hours of the initial arrest. So they only had a 48 hour holding period of this first initial arrest of Mike, um, which baffles me. I know. Wait, with everything that you've said, blood in the car, mm-hmm. injuries to the hand, mm-hmm. machete that matches the possible weapon Mm -hmm. blood in his house materials for disposing of a body in his house no alibi (laughs) what else is there um he's not held at that point no he's not charged Mm -mm. what in the world they're like we had all this stuff and as weird as it was we didn't have holy moly we didn't have enough to pinpoint him as the specific person there that (laughs) night he could have cut his hand and that was all the blood that was oh because they couldn't test the blood for dna Mm -hmm. holy moly but we'll get to that okay a little bit more you know the following day Word starts to make its way through the community about this horrific Halloween murder and a press conference was held and they named it the Halloween horror. Yeah. You know, and the community is just completely shook by this. And still, you know, at the end of this documentary that I watched about it, you know, people still relive that night years later and they think about it every Halloween, especially the detectives on it. You know what I mean? So they release Mike after 48 hours and they're still trying to build a case because they're like, this is our dude. Like we've got to find something that just like puts the nail in the coffin. No pun intended. And so they did turn to Deanna who again is only four years old at the time. Um, After that horrific night, she worked with a child psychiatrist to help her recall the events because um, oh. there's suppressed memories at this point. I mean, she's four. She's a baby. Memories. She's four. And I understand wanting to get information from a four-year-old because mm. you're so desperate and you want to find somebody. And don't get me wrong, I think that she would definitely need psychiatric care. Yeah. After being a, a witness a part, to that. a witness to yeah. something like that, um, 
And just to be clear, she was physically unharmed, right? She was physically unharmed. Okay. So, they worked with the child psychiatrist to help her recall the the events of that night. Um, What Deanna remembers is she remembers watching TV and her dad leaving, and then the knock on the door, and then the man coming in and Doreen telling her to run and hide, and Doreen is yelling at the man to get out of their house. Oh, man. Um, she says that she did not get a look at the man when he removed his mask and she did go and run and hide behind the couch in the living room. And she remembers Mike walking through the house, calling and looking for her, but he never found her. Oh, wow. And so had he, I'm sure that she would have met the same fate that Doreen did that night. I mean, she even says this herself. I think she had a guardian angel yep. looking after her that night because hiding behind a couch right. would, you would think, would maybe be like one of the first places that you would go to look. But or, I think he was so out of his mind in this yeah. moment. I don't know if he was maybe just trying to scare her and see if she would come out. Or, and was, like, actually looking for her, or what? I mean, just the fact that she was able to not... Make a peep? Yeah. Like, Scream? be quiet, cry. Cry? Like, Mom, what's going on? Mom, what's going on? You know? It's yeah. Like, that's... Holy... <sighs> Some higher power was yeah. giving her all of the tools in that moment Protection. to be able to stay silent and still and unfound and but she so did she say she recognized the voice she didn't say anything Mm. about the voice so she didn't say it was like it was him Mm -mm. okay no so just the guy or the person okay yeah um so of course after mike was initially released he's still their main suspect And they do start doing a little bit more digging into Mike's personal life. And this is when the cops find out more about um, the death of his son, Paul, Mm. the falling out with Doreen, all of the rage that went with that. They found out about Mike filing the wrongful death lawsuit against the family. Um, But then Mike was arrested again on November 5th, 1984, after his blood was matched at the crime scene. Oh, thank God. So they were able to match his blood type and arrest him after that. Um, and he was charged with murder. And circumstances of that murder that at the time in California, I don't know if it's still this way, but um, it did make him eligible for the death penalty. Oh, okay. So more evidence that the police ended up finding that solidified Mike as their guy. They found an address book of his that had a lot of female numbers in it. So despite mm. Mike having this dateless, femaleless life, he had an address book that just happened to have a lot of female phone numbers. Addresses and phone numbers. And addresses Weird. in it. And so the detectives start going through the phone book and they start calling you know, one by one, and they end up talking to a girl that 
I, I don't know how this exact conversation played out, but they end up getting into a conversation about Mike having dressed up for Halloween at a party the year before. Oh, okay. So I'm sure at this point, the wolf mask is probably known uh-huh, uh-huh. to the public, you know, stuff like that. I could imagine. I can't confirm that. Or like, have you ever seen him dress up before? Right. And she's probably like, oh yeah, like last Halloween maybe? Mm-hmm. Okay, okay, okay. And so she... We'll fill in the gaps. <laughs> yeah. So she does talk about Mike having dressed up in this wolf costume and the detective is like, okay, well, are, are there pictures? Ooh. And she's like, oh yeah, tons of pictures were Ooh. taken. And so they do get a picture of Mike at this party in that exact same wolf mask. Oh, nice. Yeah. So despite everything that they were limited to, to being able to track him down, right. the right evidence found itself in the right hands oh, for them to be able to find what they needed to continue pursuing him. So in July of 1988, we get to the trial and the sentencing. Mike initially pled not guilty to <sighs> the murder. Um, his defense was trying to go with an insanity plea. Yeah. Um, with all the grief that he was feeling and that he just completely lost it, you know. Um, they also claim that Mike didn't know Doreen was pregnant. Bullshit. That's what I think, too. I'm like, you lived only two miles away from her. Yeah. Not to, not to say or insinuate that he was, like, stalking her in any way, but... You knew where she lived. Yeah. And. You have ties. People know people. People talk exactly. to each other. You probably, I mean, you, you probably go to the same grocery store. Right. Yeah. Exactly. So I, I don't believe that at all. I think that that was just something they threw in to make him look like it wasn't an act of retaliation. Yeah. Or anything because like of that. His on, kid yeah, yeah. Exactly. So. The prosecution painted a plan of revenge uh, from Paul's death, yeah. which sounds far more likely. They think that Mike's original plan was to kidnap and kill the whole family and dispose of them in the bay with those coffins and the body bags and the you know the map that he had. But they think that on Halloween night, you know, maybe... He's watching all these families out having a good time, trick-or-treating. He's, like, at his breaking point. He's reliving the grief of having lost his son and all of this. And they think that he just had a complete mental breakdown. Yeah. It was his breaking point. And he was just basically like, fuck it. I got this mask. Yeah. I got this machete. And people are going to open their doors tonight. People are going to open their doors. I'm not going to look weird walking around in a mask. And I'm just going to go do it. So during the trial, Mike ends up changing his plea to guilty. Oh, okay. Probably hearing all of the evidence that's stacked against him. And he's like, I'm not winning this, you know. Um, So he changed his 
pleaded guilty of first-degree murder of Doreen and second-degree murder of the unborn baby. Okay. For both of them. Yeah. And, you know, during the trial and everything, he never apologized. Weird. You know, none of that, which that always strikes me, you know, in a, just in a bad place because... I don't know. Not that it really matters that much if someone says that they're sorry afterwards, but... It's when, weird when they don't. It's weird when they don't. Right. Because you're... That makes you... I mean, it makes me think, like... I know it's... Not that it's... Not that it's expected, but it's... Like, if you don't know that's the right thing to do, whether or not you mean it... That just tells me even more about your state of mind. Totally. And how you don't give a fuck. Mm -mm. Mm-mm. And, man, I can't believe he had these plans with the coffin in the bag and then was so sloppy. Yeah. Leaving the wolf mask, leaving a trail of blood, not cleaning his car... Not cleaning his house. Yeah. So that's weird because, yeah, you're right. It sounds like a breaking point was reached on Halloween. Well, and like we've talked about before, you know, to like when in the last case with um, Skylar niece, you know, being stabbed as many times yeah. as she was to chop somebody in the head 25 times with a machete and then to move to chopping off their arm and then to essentially disembowel her at eight months pregnant. Jesus Christ. Like, you have to be in just, like, a completely different state of mind to go in with that kind of rage to commit such a gruesome crime like that. Oh, yeah. And then, I mean, the moment she opened the door, he would have known... If he hadn't known... He knew then. He knew then. And he was pissed about it. And then because he went even steps beyond that and took the baby out. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Mike is currently on death row at San He's still Quentin. alive? He's still alive. I guess it's not that long ago. No, because he was... I mean, they were fairly young when they got married in the late 70s. Mm-hmm. And then his trial was in 88. I that was we were 34 born years ago. 34 years ago, <laughs> in case, yeah. you know, anyone's curious. Um, so, yeah, he's probably, like, almost 60? Yeah-ish. Damn. Yeah. Late 50s, 60. So, yeah, he's currently still sitting on death row at... San Quentin State Prison, and, you know, after the aftermath for Charles and Deanna, I mean, he already, like, kind of gone through one family tragedy of, you know, losing baby Paul, and then this happens, and your unborn child yeah. is now no longer a part of, you know, won't be a part of this world. Charles definitely struggled, you know, with some drinking problems. Yeah. He was really protective over Deanna. She talks that he, um, I think he moved her schools a bunch or there were time periods where he kept her home from school a lot. It was one or the other because I just think he was so paranoid paranoid that something was going to happen to her. But they both say 
for their own sake and for their own peace of mind that they have chosen to forgive Mike mm. to just be able to move on. I think that's incredibly admirable. And I mean, you do need forgiveness in your life to be able to move on from certain things. And so I really commend the both of them, even after something so heartbreaking and so horrific. That's like the worst thing. That's the worst thing. And like, I feel for Deanna having been four years old when it happened. Yeah. But to come home and find your significant other... I mean, four is very young. Four is very young. So, although the the trauma is there, uh, it's one of those, like, fortunately, unfortunately things where I'm glad she was that young. Right. And I'm sorry she was that young. Right. But you're right. Like, having, walking in on your spouse with your kid. Oh, gosh. And then your other kid, you don't even know where they're, oh, God, Mm -hmm. no. How terrifying. Horrific. I had never heard this, and it's terrifying it's straight out of a slasher film my god straight out of one just the the part where he just stares at the house yeah he's contemplating he's premeditating totally he's visualizing doing this Mm -hmm. yeah and when they got to the part when they were searching his house and they walk in the garage and found the coffins i was like Oh my Can god. You imagine being that detective. Like, oh, wait till you guys see this. We found some shit in the garage. Jackpot. Oh, damn. Come have a looky. That's crazy. So that's the story of Doreen Herbert. Happy the Halloween. Halloween. <laughs> happy, happy Halloween. Very oh. Halloween y. What are you talking about? Yeah. That was very. He took the opportunity of Halloween. It Uh wasn't just like, oh, it happened on Halloween. No. It was very in the spirit. Not that who's going to question, but you might let it pass if you see someone walking around with a machete because you're like, oh, it's a prop. Exactly. It's a prop. Yeah. There's no blood at this point, at least when he's walking around. Mm -hmm. This is also why I don't love masks. Like, when it comes to costumes, like, masks royally freak me out. Mm. And, because you don't know who's behind it. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know the intention behind the person's eyes that are hiding behind that thing. And what they're thinking about. If they're smiling, if they're laughing, if they're plotting something. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's That's a sad story. It is sad. And that's our uh, Halloween episode. So be safe. Be safe. Um, Maybe commit to cutting off trick-or-treating door answers at a certain time. Have a backup buddy for giving out candy. Yeah. (laughs) Trunk-or-treating sounds a lot lot safer. (laughs) My goodness. Well, that was a great episode. Thanks. Thank you. You're welcome. All right. Well, thank you everyone for listening. Again, if you're new here, welcome. Hope you hang around. And we love to see those reviews come in. If you guys have a chance to do it on whatever platform you listen to us on. And if you have the chance and time, check us out on patreon.com for extra content. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
time of the year. Best time of the year. This holiday. It's great. Yeah, it's a good one. Be safe. Beware of stranger danger. Yes. <laughs> Especially the stranger danger. Yes. I'm the most excited about Halloween this year than I've been in a very, very long time. I think I like lost my love for mm. Halloween from all my years working in the service industry because yeah. I always had to work Halloween night. And then the one time I dressed up at work for Halloween, I got in trouble because what? I was working at the Kennedy School. And I was like, oh, cool, I'm gonna be Laura Croft because I had these leggings that had huh. like guns printed on them. Yeah. And so I like, you know, wore a very covered, work-appropriate outfit. And um, somebody within the company very, very high up came over and lectured me about how it was in bad taste that I was wearing guns in a school. Oh my God. And I was like, damn, but it's not really- It's a, not a it's school. It's not a school. And I think this had to have been like, Oh maybe God. untimely after maybe a school shooting or something I like mean, that. I mean, they so happen maybe... every day now. Yes. But I was just like so... Oh this particular gosh. person did a really good job of like kind of making you feel like he just scraped you off the bottom of his shoe. And I was just like, okay, well, do you want me to Change. go home? Yeah. I, don't, I don't know what you oh, want me darn, to do. Oh, darn, you want me to leave. <laughs> <Exactly>. Oh, no. <laughs> But yeah, I'm excited about Halloween. What a this dick! Year. He was such a dick. Oh my god. Are you dressing up this year? Um, yeah, I think I'm gonna do maybe a repeat of one of my favorite costumes that I did. I did like the deer makeup. <gasps> That's such a good one. A few years ago, I know yeah. a lot of people have done it, but it's it's really so easy. Yeah, like, and if cute. You, if you have bronzer yeah. and black eyeliner, and then you get a white eyeliner yep. pencil, like it's a very, very, very easy yeah. look. And to do. well put together too. You know. Yeah. So and it looks cute on everybody. I'm all for that for you. And the year yeah. that I did that it was the year that my friend Kelsey <laughs> dressed up as Borat. In, in like, the green sling. The one keeny thing. Oh, and she took it to the next level because she bought, like, an afro wig, and she cut it up and put all of the afro hair in all of the extra right places. And I still have pictures in my phone, and I show them anytime I think about Halloween. Oh, that's great. That's great. Maybe she'll make an appearance on Instagram for that with that picture. For this she, episode. She rolls up to the house party in their Uber and she gets out and she's in like a trench coat. Oh. And I'm like, I'm like, what is she? Carmen San Diego? Oh, that's a good one though. And then she rips open. She's like, la la la, very nice. <laughs> I was like, that's yes. Great. I would not expect anything less from you. Kelsey's very enthusiastic about Halloween costumes. I don't know if I'm dressing up this year. No, we are because we always go to Kim's house for for something but yeah. um we were thinking last night or you know whatever we were talking about um doing themed parties because mm. well i had a theme for my birthday party but mm -hmm. i was like we should just have more reasons to theme up and yeah. like do stuff so we're thinking for friendsgiving we do mean girls oh my god yes yeah Oh yeah. Yes. It's happening. Also, I realized yeah. that when my last episode came out and I was like, oh, this should be called the Mean Girl episode. Yeah. It was on October 3rd. 
Oh, shut up. It was. I was like, what a missed opportunity. So I'm going to bring it up now that yeah. I like very <laughs> intentionally did that episode because it was October 3rd. <laughs> Oh, that's great. But I love the Mean Girls idea. That's amazing. Kara already called being the mom. Um, she's going to she's gonna be the cool mom walking mm-hmm. around with a tray of margaritas. For yeah. <laughs> so. That's awesome. Oh, my gosh. Yes. We'll make Tyson be Regina George. Oh, my gosh. That'd yes. Funny. Just a tank top with, like, mm-hmm. the holes cut out for the nipples. That and we'll just great. give him a bunch of calteen bars. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Or just butter sticks. Or, oh, yeah, <laughs> just, just butter sticks. That's even better. That's so good. Yeah, yes. it's so fun okay. to dress up. So that'll be fun. Yeah. Um, check your kids' candy. Yeah. I know that's an old, like, I, there's actual specific cases that are that cause that panic, right, to check mm-hmm. your kids' candy. And there is a case where that dad tried to say that it was candy from Halloween that poisoned his kid, which turned out it was him. Either way, check your kid's candy and uh, take the take the Kit Kats. Take the Reese's. I also saw that like some people were like handing out like mini bottles of Fireball. Like these kids <gasps> came home and like dumped out their bags. Kids to kids? To kids. It was on an episode of Ridiculousness and I was like I mean the dad was stoked. Yeah. Of course, but. Can you imagine? Oh my gosh. The kids wouldn't even like it anyways. That's so Ooh, yeah. it's, it's a little rough. Yeah, if you don't know what it is, it might taste like cough syrup, but whatever. Yeah, exactly. Just chase it with Sprite. It's fine. It's, okay. it's fine. So anyway, happy yeah, Halloween. Happy Halloween.